JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. From the Athletic, covers the Titans, covers the AFC South and the NFL. Blankets, I should say, the AFC South and the NFL. You can find his work as well on the game down in Nashville. He does some radio, too. Um, Jay, uh, it's uh, Joe Rexroad who joins us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, Joe, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, doing great. Excited about the, a little bit of football to watch here. How you guys doing? Are you uh, they in practice right now? Uh, no, no. Today was the first one. So, and then uh, I got you. Closed day tomorrow, and then yeah, then they really get after uh, starting on uh, Friday. So we're, we've been debating about this whole Jonathan Taylor thing up here, Joe. And, and obviously, outside looking in, we're more embedded into it right here. But the outside looking in, what do you think this is more of? Is this is is, is this uh, a little more than delicate stance you think Taylor is taking, or do you think this is more the truth that he is still? being handled carefully coming back from an off-season procedure. Where are you with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I have no insight, but it does kind of, like you said, when you when you think about Ursa's comments, uh, it does kind of feel like maybe it's related, right? And, and not, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think there's been the story in the NFL for a little bit now, and obviously a lot of people are, you know, empathizing with the running backs, feeling bad for the running backs. They had a nice Zoom call, but – you know, there's not much that can be done. I don't know if this, if that's what this is. I don't really know what it accomplishes, but I understand at least if that, if that is the case, uh, letting people know you're not happy about things. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I don't know what it accomplishes for either side because, again, we've talked about this before, too. I mean, the Colts are in a situation, unlike a lot of other teams, this is necessary for the help in growth. For me, even beyond, you know, the year remaining on the contract of Jonathan Taylor, to me it's not like one of these situations where you can just slide guys in by committee and get what's necessary to move your very inexperienced rookie quarterback and then next year, first-year quarterback along. So, to me, I think the Colts need him, even if the rest of the NFL frowns upon really needing running backs and I think Jonathan Taylor in turn needs the Colts because as I mentioned there's only one of them out there that to me has the type of necessities that are are needed in this case for a guy like Jonathan Taylor maybe to get paid and to have more longevity here than anybody else might as a running back. Yeah, and, you know, I, I can tie that to, to Derrick Henry here, too. I mean, look, Derrick Henry, I think, is probably going to have another really good year for the Titans. I mean, he had 1,500 yards behind a bad offensive line last year. And, you know, he, he's going to find it tough, tough sledding. If he's in the overwater, to me, it makes more sense. There's more value that he gets out of being here than he would anywhere else. I mean, they, maybe even to a larger extent because they've built so much around him. But, no, I mean, I think Taylor is critical to the Colts' success. He's a great player. I mean, Saquon Barkley, if he weren't, you know, had, had that not – were he to not play this season, they'd be bad, right? And that's yeah. kind of like in, in instances, some of these guys are critical. It's just they're still not going to get the long-term deal. Because the team ultimately has more leverage. And they know you cannot, you can't go a year and not get paid at that position once you start the clock. It's uh, Joe Rexroad again from The Athletic, covers the Tennessee Titans, the AFC South with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I guess I have, along with others, uh, have somewhat written off Tennessee and where I think they're going to be. Um, I think they're more kind of spinning it now that obviously going to be a, a front-runner possibility in the AFC South. Is that way too early to believe that 
I mean, do you see a completely different scenario working down there than I might up here in Indy regarding the uh, Titans? Well, I, I think I think it's a popular view in the NFL that they're going to be bad, and I disagree with that. You know, I, I think they're, and I think you know, adding Hopkins helps. I think they're going to be a pretty good team, like a nine and eight kind of team. Now that still like, goes along with what you said. I don't see. I have a hard time right now getting to the point of them actually having a chance in January to do anything. I do think they're going to be in some kind of race with the Jags this year, but that's also me not totally buying that the Jags have arrived as a, you know, a 13 and 14, you know? So I, I do think the Titans overall just, I mean, even like our guy, Dane Brugler um, at the athletic, I think he, you know, it, it's just a mock draft. You do record the draft, right? But I think he had a pick in like third or something, you know? I mean, like uh, Bill Burnwell had him as like the 30th or 31st best roster. I, I, I think that's a little bit uh, underrating the Titans, but you know, they were bad last year late. They lost seven in a row. It's just they, they missed Tannehill. Then Jeffrey Simmons was a shell of himself, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the injuries can only be used so much as an excuse. But the fact is, the last two years, they've, they've rostered more players than anyone in NFL history. So, you know, are they going to get some good luck this year? I still think Tannehill's good. Like I said, I still think Henry's good. Is Hopkins good? I mean, if so, with a new OC, they might get back to looking human on offense. And I think the defense is solid. When uh, people want to compare to you bringing in Julio Jones to that of bringing in DeAndre Hopkins, what's been your answer? Well, I think it's a, a first of all, it's almost eerily similar. You know, the, the year before each guy got to Nashville, they both played nine games. They both had 700. It was like one had 771, one 717. They both had three touchdowns. Um, Julio's was more injury. That was the first year of the hamstring issues. He had been incredibly durable until then. And, of course, Hopkins, last year it was mostly that PED suspension, but the year before that he had, you know, an MCL and, a, and another injury. So, I, I mean, there are similarities without question. I think just a year, you know, Hopkins a year younger than Julio was coming here. The big diff, the couple of differences. One, I do think that Hopkins gained ages better than Julio's. You know, I mean, I, I, what he does works still, and I think can work. I mean, was really, I mean, he's a physical, great route runner who catches everything. And Julio's game was a little bit more, you know, dependent on the speed that, that was starting to really uh, escape him there once he got here. Another big difference is, like. You know, when they when they traded for Julio, of course, you give up a second-round pick, by the way. There's one difference. But, but Mike Vrabel, like, what he told us, like, I mean, I called Nick Saban. He's calling everybody he could to try, like, to find out, like, is this guy going to be a problem? Like, is he going to fit in well? In this case, I mean, he and Hopkins have stayed friends through all these years, and they were there with each other for years. So I think he has a lot more certainty about what he's getting and what Hopkins is bringing to the locker room. And Hopkins, I mean, you can tell Hopkins uh, does not like some of the narratives out there about him and said so yesterday. It's uh, Joe Rexrode, senior writer, columnist of The Athletic, co-host at ESPN 102.5 The Game. There's a lot of radio down there, too, joining us, talking Colts and AFC South and more via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, in comparison here, Gardner Minshew, first-team snaps today in this first practice. Anthony Richardson, the second-team snaps. I guess everything went fantastically, whatever. Uh, How's the hierarchy there at at quarterback? And where's Will Levis fit in to this equation? Not only right now, Joe, but in your belief moving forward. Yeah, great question. And it's more interesting right now than I would have anticipated, really even after the spring. But, look, there's a lot of optimism about the way Malik Willis has responded to his rookie season. I mean, he had a, he had the offseason the Titans wanted. It. But Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel doesn't like – honestly, Mike Vrabel doesn't like talking about individual players a ton, good or bad. But he's kind of been gushing about Willis here uh, for a couple of days. And this is after it was clear Willis had gotten better in the spring. So all of that is to say, I'm not sure Levis is QB2 this year. I mean, that's a battle for QB2. But I think right now I'm still forced to guess right now. I'm still guessing Will Levis, Titans starting quarterback in 2024. I mean, I, you move up in the second round to get him. The question I have is, you know, has Willis improved himself enough, one, to, to possibly beat him up for QB2 this year? I think they are going to keep the three of them. You know, to keep both those guys after Tannehill. 
And then also, like, is this the QB room moving forward? Levis and Willis. Levis QB1, Willis QB2, maybe a competition. I don't know. I mean, Willis has opened the door to that, and credit to him. He never should have seen a football field, an NFL field last year at all. I think Titans made a mistake in making him QB2 last year over Logan Woodside. When he had to play, it was bad. I mean, they, they go on, they move on to Josh Dobbs at the end of the year. They almost still beat the Jags on the road with him, having been in, in the facility for a week or 10 days. But um, Willis has, has come on. Look, Willis is a talent. I mean, he, he has a lot of talent. You come to that Hugh Freeze offense, and again, you just should never see a field. So, in the meantime, I mean, Levis has a lot of ability. Anybody who watched him in college, he threw too many bad picks. I think his footwork and accuracy are too erratic. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do there. But that does at least make these preseason games coming up worth watching because I think it's basically just going to be that battle for three games. All right, so with Willis right now, is this his improvement real, or is there any level of thought that maybe this is, you know, to try to you know, sustain any level of, of market value and or interest um, in a departure possibility? Is it trying to maintain, again, any slight level of that? Or is the whole Willis improvement, is that a real thing? No, at this point, I, I, and believe me, I've had those thoughts exactly. But, no, it's real. Um, now, how, how what, what does that do? What does that translate to on the field in a real football game? You know, I think that the Titans are going to have at least a decent QB two this year, unlike last year. No, and he's made strides. This is not this is not trying to spin a narrative and and you know help something else along with it. I mean, this is there, there's a lot of people that have been talking about this, not just at at the podium. So um, it's real. Again, I still don't know, you know, how dramatic it is there's a lot to learn in that regard but look I mean, that guy after last year he had to know like, you, you are now fighting to like be a viable backup QB in this league you know after the way that rookie year went so to his credit he has responded so is there a, is there a bit now of a, a front office 49er belief that it's always better to have 19 quarterbacks <laughs> well, you know, Rand Carthon did come over from the Niners, so he knows I, just, how, I, was, I was just thinking. Go. I was just thinking. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the, the funny thing about that is, too, I mean, there's some Titans fans who are already melting down about this idea that Levis and Willis would be in a competition. Like, what does that say about Levis and all this stuff? And it's like, look, I mean, just remember, like, the Niners gave up half the world to get Trey Lance, and then they're like, oh, no, Brock Purdy, you're better. Okay, let's go with that. I mean, you, that's, what you, that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, you, you may look bad for, for what you did previously. Of course, they've got the capital to be able to survive that. But, I mean, I'd keep an open mind here for sure. You know, And, and the Titans, like I said, the injuries in general were have been a huge problem. But also, like last year, getting caught without a viable NFL quarterback when Tannehill went down, that was inexcusable. And it was costly. Joe, are you there? Yeah. Did you lose me? Oh, sorry about that. I think I lost you just for a second. It's okay. I'm still here. My bad. I've got us. Joe Rex Road joins us from the Athletic. <laughs> it's a long, pregnant pause I wanted to give you right there as we broadcast Joe live <laughs> from Broad Ripple here at the Union Jack Pub. Hey, that was that was me. That was not you. I, I was kind of thinking about it. Maybe I kind of thought myself to sleep there just for a moment about something I've talked about ad nauseum around here. I kind of view it, and I know it's not the same down there with Willis and certainly you know, not Levis right now because I think more people certainly seem confident in tech. Hill still having something left. But to me here, and if it's Gardner Minshew that they feel they need to go with in week number one over Anthony Richardson, I, I think that's that sets a precedent. Even if I feel like I'm rushing him along a little bit uh, bad here, and here's why. I think you only should, should see Richardson upon an injury. Check that. You only should see Minshew upon an injury. Uh, to Richardson, which is certainly you know, something you don't want to see, or ineffectiveness. And that's something you don't want to see because then you have to explain it. And a lot of people suggest, well, you're rushing you know, the rookie along. And I guess to a degree that I am, but that's just kind of how I look at it. I, I think Minshew is more of an insurance policy here, whereas Tannehill is believed to be in Nashville, I guess, Joe, as still having possibilities of taking them where they need to go in 2023. Is that fair? 
Yeah, well, yeah, and look, I mean, Tannehill is certainly, I mean, Tannehill's a, a good starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he can, like, he can win enough games for them to, like, be in the playoff race late in the season, right? I mean, so uh, I think a lot of people look at it around here like, basically, this is the last hurrah, and probably with Derrick Henry, too, you know? I, I'd say there's a little more chance that, that Henry and the Titans, you know, come back together after this season for a year or two. But yeah. I think unless Tannehill is spectacular this year and the Titans, like, actually do damage in the playoffs, I think they're going on to probably Levis. So, but I'm with you. I mean, look, I mean, Colts fans know well that uh, there's another uh, highly touted QB who came in and had a very rookie like what, what did Manning throw, 31 picks his rookie year or whatever it was? You know, I mean, some, I mean, playing through it can, can be effective, yeah. too. I think sometimes if you have a good starter to, to be behind and watch, like, a, a winning starter, then that's different. But it's not like Minshew. What is Minshew going to do for Richardson? Yeah, and and again, I just I just think it's best for everybody involved if you have the rookie quarterback here, Joe, prove himself and prove himself going into week number one. But that's still a little bit of time away. Joe Rexrow joins us from The Athletic. And of 1025, the game in Nashville with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, what else do you think is interesting right now within the, the AFC South? Obviously, you get the, the changing of guards in, in two of the spots we expect here in Indy and in Houston, and then maybe one there in Nashville. But are you buying into the hype surrounding Jackson being a juggernaut this season, as many are, I'm not. I, mean, I think they're. I mean, they're my favorite. I, I I would pick them right now to win the AFC South. Um, but you know, I'm not. I'm not sold on them being like. Okay, let's say, are they closer to like the Titans or the Chiefs? I, I might. I might lean Titans. You know, and I understand what happened in the postseason. An incredible run late. I mean, my, a huge question is, I think Trevor Lawrence has demonstrated he's going to be very good, but is he going to be that guy? Is he going to – I mean, people are talking Burrow, Herbert. Is he going to be that guy? Well, if so, then sure, I'd buy it. Um, I like Ridley a lot. I mean, I think Ridley, we'll see. Can he stay healthy a year away from football and stuff? But, I mean, the talent level of what he could bring, I like that a lot. Um, you know, they have a, I mean, they have a good team. I think they're going to win the division, but no, I, I, I struggle to see them being in that discussion with the upper crust of the AFC this year. And no problem there with, um, with Rabel if they have a disappointing season, correct? He's still solid as a rock there? Yes. I mean, I have to – look, last year, Amy Adams Strunk fired the GM in the middle of the year, and that was one of those like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> and you're like, okay, this has been a very level-headed ownership since she became controlling owner, and that was a very bad, knee-jerk, unnecessary decision that I absolutely think hurt the team. A massive distraction right before they, they blew a game to Jacksonville that even allowed the division to become contested again. So – I like I, I, I with that in mind, I mean, you never know are they if they're terrible this year? I mean, look, they have gone about things like they expect to win this year. If, if they're terrible, could he be in trouble? Possibly. But I think what happened with John Robinson getting fired is that Mike Rabel got more power and you know, more say in personnel. And so I think it was also kind of a like kind of a choosing Mike over John at that point. So I think he's fine. So after they, they traded A.J. Brown, or John Robinson did, was there ever any common ground found between general manager and head coach after that point? And especially when it started becoming blatantly obvious that that fixture and that offense was so incredibly missing last year? Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of, in terms of the relationship, I don't think it was like – I mean, look, Vrabel uh, clearly did not like the decision. I mean, draft night, that night he looked like a guy who had just blown a 30-point yeah. lead in the fourth quarter when he was doing his draft presser. I mean, he basically vowed two weeks before the draft, there's no way while I'm coaching the team, A.J. Brown is gone. So he wasn't happy about it, but I don't think it was like some, you know, relationship destroyer or anything like that between those guys. You know, they, they disagreed. It turns out that John was just dead wrong, and, and it was a devastating mistake for his career. But, yeah, you know, I mean – I, I like, to me, at the time, there was a little bit of, wait a minute, is this like Vrabel pulling the, you know, the, the, the switcheroo, stabbing him in the back? And I really don't think at all that's what happened. I think this was the owner 
making that decision and stunning everyone, including Vrabel at the time. Joe Rexrode with us. He covers the Titans and the AFC South for the Athletic, also on the game down in Nashville. With us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. It should be a hellaciously interesting season. It's weird. It's like you guys are or somewhat of a sequel now with a rookie quarterback. Now you've got like a, a you know, a second-year quarterback that may uh, be above the rookie quarterback and still the incumbent quarterback is there, whereas you know, it, I think whether in Houston or here, if you have, you know, Davis Mills or Gardner Menchu starting in week number one, everybody's going to probably be up in arms over that as a fan base, at least most of it. So seems like you guys got a little bit of leverage to work with with Tannehill and Nashville that the others – the others looking forward under center in this division, don't you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and yeah, for sure. And I, I will say, just as a general football fan, um, I, I like that the, the fact that the AFC South has a chance to be really interesting. You know, it may not be very good again, <laughs> but at least you know. I mean, I'm excited to see Anthony Richardson. I mean, I, I've said this like I saw him live one time last year. That was covering the Malls Florida game in Knoxville. And I'm in the press box saying, you guys sure this isn't the number one overall pick? Because did you just see that throw? And did you just see that throw? He was incredible. I mean, you know, you watch other games, and he was not. He was bad. But I'm fascinated by him. I I think C.J. Stroud will be a good player. I don't know that I'm sold on him being a franchise QB, but at least they're interesting again, too, you know? So, I mean, you know, at some point you figure Levis gets going, and then it's sort of a – it's actually a, a kind of more fun division seeing which of these quarterbacks if any of them can become great. All right, Joe, man, I appreciate you more than you know. Keep doing what you're doing down there in Nashville. I'm sure we'll talk it up again very soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon, speaking of definition, it is one Kevin Bowen from the morning show, Kevin and Query. It is Kevin Bowen who writes at 1075thefan.com, and it apparently now is Kevin Bowen that is going to have to lift the sports department of Wish TV Channel 8 and make sure they know a little bit of something about football this year because he is going to be their lead NFL and Colts analyst. Well done on that gig, Kev. <laughs> I mean, is, nobody, is I mean you're, you're, you're going to be the guy over there because there's not anybody over there that knows jack squat about anything. You know that, right? It's going to be you. Ken Delger, is Ken Delger going to be waiting for you when you get in your car? <laughs> Wait a minute. Later today? Uh, you got to wake Ken up when he's on the air over there, don't you? Now, actually, <laughs> I, I kid because I care. I like Ken a great deal, and I like everybody over there a great deal. Uh, the problem is I just haven't been able to see it for about three years. So that's the problem yeah, well, I have. Certainly. No, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, I appreciate AC asking me to do it. And actually, I grew up paying to turn off as one of their new sports anchors. And Angela over there, Ross and Jason and everybody. So really looking forward to it. And uh, be just kind of another uh, another avenue to, uh, to find me and find our content besides 7 to 10 each morning. Are they going to let you do traffic over there, too, in the morning? Are you going to do traffic on the 10s? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do traffic. I don't know if maybe I can, you know, pull out some WTHR tape from you from back in the day. And, and, and maybe, you know, Ooh. we can see if a fly is zipped up or not. I have I have two good ones. I don't know if the tape exists. One of me with my pants unzipped in front of the H-Mon out there. <laughs> I mean, my pants, you could just see. I mean, if, if there was anything of consequence working there, there might have, you know, it was like probably that would get a, like a soft core rated X rating i think right there so i had my pants unzipped once and then once i hyperventilated while i was doing the highlights that was pretty cool and that was because i was hung over i was hung over for the day before and they had mentioned they said hey you know what normally when you're on tv you look incredibly pasty but you look like very pasty today like more pasty than normal what happened and i said well you know we had this uh show and it got a little bit wild uh but i hyperventilated during the highlights so they had two really yeah. good moments of TV for me right there. 
both. I think one of my favorite lines that you've ever said was anything of consequence down there. Uh, it's probably one of, <laughs> one of the better lines that I'm, t- that I'm telling you. From you. So, if I was, if I was good, bringing good the thunder, images. that thing would have been rated X on that Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would have been calling you Ron Jeremy on WTHR. <laughs> hey, I've mentioned this, and am I right? I mentioned that. The key to going through, especially day number one of a practice, is that seemingly everybody looks good, everything is great, and nobody gets injured. Now, there's an outlier here. We'll get to the whole Jonathan Taylor storyline in a second. But it appears at least the workout, the practice itself, everybody looked really good. Everybody believes they're going to be great. And then you had the storyline of Shaquille Leonard, right? So day number one, is that what you were looking for? And ultimately, is that what you got? Yeah, I think that is easily the storyline out of the day. I mean, the fact that Leonard not only did not start camp on Puff, which, again, he started each of the last two training camps on Puff, but then the amount of work he did. And, and look, we are a long ways away from, you know, crowning him an all-pro again and him playing, you know, 17 games and, and, you know, withstanding an NFL season. But if you would have told me on Monday, Shaquille Leonard is not going to be on Puff, and then he's going to go out there and he's going to participate in 11 on 11 drills and do it in every single period today i i would have told you you were crazy i i i would have been shocked by that and basically they had three different 11 on 11 periods today they were five plays each leonard was out there for the start the first two plays of each of those periods so if you add all that up he was out there for 40% of the starting work. Is that, you know, the same amount of Zaire Franklin? No. But, again, when we're talking about a guy that was barely on the field last year, has had two back surgeries in the last 13 months, you add all that up, he missed a full month of camp last year. You go back two years ago, he missed a couple of weeks to start that camp as well. That, to me, is a positive, positive sign. And Leonard was really optimistic back in the spring. And I think a lot of people just kind of chalk that up to how he operates as, as a human, particularly when it comes to, to football. But, you know, for today, his actions kind of backed up that optimism. And now it's all about, okay, stringing those days together, you know, going through the grind of a camp, obviously joint practice, preseason games, all of that. Again, we're still a long ways away. But for day one, I, I think you have to be extremely encouraged by the amount of work Leonard did. Kevin Bowen, 107.5thefan.com. Morning show, Kevin and Query, which is weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. And now the only guy at Wish TV Channel 8 that knows anything about football. He's with us via the Andy Moore <laughs> Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, you know you're going to get a lot. You're going to get a lot of talk out of this, right? I mean, we, we've got uh, it. No. We care so much. We got a kid, right? Don't we have to kid a well, little bit? Honestly, maybe some of the biggest reluctance I had was thinking how JMV is going to react to this. And lo and behold, when the day is announced that I'm going to be doing this, it happens to be our Wednesday conversation. So yes, might as just well fit uh, right in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, just just tell tell AC don't feel bad when we're opposite one another on a Sunday night for those shows. I'm on 59, you're on eight, and you guys ooh, are getting your ass ooh. whipped. Okay, <laughs> tell AC not to be bad. Don't be mad about well, it. That's, that's when I got to air the dirty laundry of you just rocking your underwear talking there with Hank. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed you do. All right. I, I look at it this way, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but, you know, yesterday at 5 o'clock I find out, you know, via Colts Twitter that Jonathan Taylor is on Pup. And I know that there are rumors out there, and I, I think Shane Steichen even alluded to it today that he's not quite ready. Although you go back a week and a half, two weeks ago, Jim Irsay told Pat McAfee that indeed um, he was healed and and basically good to go. Uh, you guys talked to Chris Ballard at noon yesterday. Ballard didn't mention anything, and these guys always say how much they know. They know everything. They know, they know so much more than that. I'm sorry if I don't believe that he did not know what was going to take place at five o'clock. He did not know that that was happening at noon. Uh, that aside, how big of a deal do you believe this to be? Is this something that is more injury-related than anything else, or is it more kind of line-in-the-sand contractual thing for Jonathan Taylor to do right now, and is there more to it than what we're led to believe? What do you think? Yeah, John, I, I'm not like – you know, king conspiracy theorists when any sort of topic comes up and you immediately go to the hmm, 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 you know, you start going there. I, I don't know how you don't have a little bit of 
fishiness where there's smoke, there's fire with this. And honestly, I could make the argument, John, you as a Colts fan would want this to be more contractual than you would injury. We're talking about a dude that had a high ankle sprain last year. Is that a tough injury to play through? Without question. Is that a tough injury that takes six months to recover from? Absolutely not. I mean, I know all high ankle sprains are, you know, individual, but you look at Cordy Pay. Cordy Pay played through that last season. He did not have surgery in the offseason. If you go back to the start of the offseason, it was not even a slam dunk Taylor would have surgery. There was a debate whether he would need surgery or would just kind of rest and rehab, um, get him back to being 100%. So he had surgery six months ago, and yet here he is on the start of camp, and he has not passed his physical and is on the pup list. So if it is physical, I'm starting to think like, whoa, is this something that is a little bit more serious on that end? You know, I'm trying to go back to yesterday when you think back to, you know, when the Ian Rappaport tweet was sent out kind of late. It, it was late in our show, so it was, you know, kind of close to, to 10 o'clock where Rappaport tweeted out something to the effect of, like, Taylor's not going to report to camp or there's questions about that, something along those lines. He doesn't say that just to say that. And, you know, when you start kind of trying to connect, okay, dots with this situation – Shaquille Leonard's agent also represents Jonathan Taylor. I think back to a couple years ago when Leonard was dealing with an injury, but all of a sudden that injury seemed to quiet down once he put 10 to paper on a contract extension in camp and he started to practice very shortly thereafter. Taylor doesn't strike me as a guy that would do something like that, but again, it's hard to just ignore these little clues that are going on with all of this, whether it's the magnitude of the injury, how public he's been about wanting to carry the torch for running backs, or again, in, in this case, you do have a kind of a similar situation between him and Leonard. So it sounds like he won't speak to the media until he comes off the pup list. Um, again, when that happens remains to be seen, um, but it, it, just, it seems like there's a little bit more to this story than it appears on the surface. Yeah, I would agree. Now, is this something you think that, that is going to linger, or do you think this is something that, let's just say, coming up after 13 practice, if we look back on this and say, yeah, there was nothing really there? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, I always feel like kind of deadlines for action. Now, in this case, technically, there's not necessarily a deadline. Um, you know, he is he's under contract and going to make you know four point. I think it's four point three million on the final the final year of his rookie deal. So, I mean, you would think he would play that out. Um, and, and maybe we do get to the start of September, and it's just you know kind of spilled milk at that point. But I do think it's a very rare occurrence especially in the Chris Ballard era, for quality, and in in Taylor's case, elite players to be due a contract extension and not get it. You know, whether it was Shaq Leonard, whether it was Naheem Hines, and again, those guys, especially Hines, he wouldn't qualify in the Taylor stratosphere in terms of how productive he's been. You know, Nelson, Braden Smith, all those guys got contract extensions before year four. Well, if you have Taylor and and maybe even Michael Pittman going into their final years of their rookie deals without a contract extension, now you've got a storyline, and you've got a storyline all season long. And and so I I guess that is something that maybe it's not like a hardcore deadline, but but you could view that as as week one as something, do you want to kind of get this done with, move on, the season's a season, or do you want this hanging cloud being there for Taylor? Um, I, I do think we need to hear from Taylor soon. You know, he had a very cryptic like of a tweet yesterday, which is not something he does a whole lot, in that it was a fan responding to the Colts tweet of a picture of Taylor walking into camp, and the fan put the meme in there of JT's face looks like Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Taylor either found that funny or found that, you know, something that he agreed with and simply liked like the tweet so you know clearly there is more to this taylor is not just playing the michael pittman side of it where pittman is like yeah whatever happens happens contract wise i'm just ready to play football this year taylor isn't doing that he didn't do that in june he's not doing that on social media so we'll see if his stance has changed when he does meet the media here whenever he comes off the pup list but again it just doesn't all add up to me john so you don't honestly think that Shane Steichen deep down to his core believes that he can get the production that's necessary you know either this season next season with his young quarterback out of a running back by committee situation here do you 
great question. Um, you know, I found it interesting that Chris Ballard on more than one occasion yesterday mentioned we have a new coaching staff in regards to answering questions about Jonathan Taylor and, you know, how he is, you know, viewed, I guess, value-wise to the Colts. Um, you know, I don't know if it's relevant or not, but it's probably worth bringing up that you look at Philadelphia last year. Obviously, Miles Sanders was a great player for them, was their top running back, but they had a lot of guys by committee, and Miles Sanders is now in Carolina. So, to me, it seems a bit risky to do when you also ask yourself, what else would you do with that money? And I think that is a relevant question. It's not like the Colts are spending that money on a quarterback anytime soon, a left tackle anytime soon, a pass rusher anytime soon. I think you, you've made a very strong point in that Taylor's value to the Colts means more than any other team. And you, if, you're, if you're the Colts, you might look at that as leverage. Okay, Jonathan Taylor, do you really want to hit the open market? Because the best thing you're going to get probably is with us. You know, teams aren't going to value you to the degree that you, that we value you considering, you know, what you've meant to the organization, the quarterback in Richardson, um, the fact that they do have this cap space to, to, to spend. So, yeah, that would be Shane Steichen betting on himself big time. I've said all along, uh, I think something in the two- to three-year range seems realistic. I'd probably let him play it out and slap the franchise tag on him, but I get that that might not be the most realistic thing in the world. Um, I think a two- or three-year extension – makes sense it, it, it supports anthony richardson early on and then you kind of reassess a couple of years down the road hey kev i know james is telling me i got a couple of minutes but james hold hold off on that just for a second here too i get back to miles sanders he had 1200 yards rushing for a team in philly that went to the super bowl a year ago and because you're trying now because you moved him on to to charlotte to play for carolina and you're trying with deandre swift doesn't mean anything i thought he was big in what they did and how their offense came along this past season that's why i view jonathan taylor in a sense here in terms of what shane steichen's looking at for this offense even more magnified in the case of the growing colts here especially a quarterback you agree yeah I, I think that's that's a good point that that you bring up um and what i keep on coming back to with taylor and Pittman, john is this you cannot skimp on skill support with your young quarterback. I mean, that is the last thing you can do, especially when he's this much of an unknown. He, he's this much of a 13 starts, and, and what are you going to get? I mean, he is, this is not a four-year starter that won a Heisman Trophy and had a bunch of 11-win seasons. I mean, he, he's anything but that. So I want to make sure that I support the hell out of the guy. And as much as I disagree with drafting a running back, in the second round, I can't live. I've got to live in the reality of now, and that would be: you've got the money, you can extend Taylor, you can extend Pittman. Because I do think you got to have a little bit of fear with Pittman more than Taylor. And again, I know their production is different so far. I'm not arguing that Pittman's been the better player; he certainly hasn't. But if Pittman were to hit the open market versus Taylor, there'd be a lot more teams that are going to view a wideout like him, and they're going to say. Dude, come over here. You've played with awful quarterbacks in your career in Indianapolis. We'll happily pay you, and you come over here and try and you know tap into more potential. And then if you're the Colts, boom, it's Alex Pierce and Josh Downs as your support for Anthony Richardson. So I get that there's a little bit of leverage to play. And, again, there's no real deadline upcoming, but I think it would be a very slippery slope to let either of them walk. Yeah, and I don't, I don't see it, it happening either unless Chris Ballard is also in the process of getting this reprieve, you know, getting a rebirth of sorts here after the first six years of getting nothing. To me, you know, you can look at it. If you're talking about conspiracy theories, I guess you could go with, you know, maybe you realize the air of your ways and where you put your money, and now you're trying to rectify that on the fly, beginning with running back. That's just a very dangerous time. I think, to come to that conclusion after all these years. I don't think that's happening at all, but um, you kind of wonder where, where Ballard's head might be as far as moving forward because he does, he keeps talking about you know, a new coaching group and you know basically them evaluating and such after a four-win season last year. That, that does make you think a little bit. Yeah, that was odd to me that he said that on so many occasions. And, and, and we played the clips back-to-back today, John, on the show. We played you know, Ballard's answer to Taylor, and we played Ballard's answer to Pittman. 
boy, it sounds like two totally different answers. I mean, with Pittman, I freaking love the dude. He's a big piece of what we do, et cetera, et cetera. Taylor, with every positive, was met with a but. It, you know, it was, yeah, but we have a new coaching staff. But we won four games last year. You know, but, you know, well, the market is yeah. the market. It, it, there was just a little bit more there that I said to Stephen Holder earlier today, it seemed like for the first time Chris Ballard was talking to Jonathan Taylor's agent through us. And I can't recall in any of those previous contract debates, whether they were even debates with Leonard and Nelson and Smith and all those guys, of him ever even doing that. And it felt like he did that yesterday. And again, how much of this, which is interesting because Taylor's personality doesn't strike me like this, how much is Taylor saying, running back, follow me. I'm going to do something here. And, And I don't know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit with that and we'll see how it all unfolds yeah I I just think this is a different situation I I think that everybody needs to realize this is a different situation than most other places around the NFL right now Kev and I I, to me and I I gotta run here but I I just think that you look at it this way don't I mean, you, you outthink so much, and oftentimes you get caught believing you're the smartest person in the room, and you try to play that out. I mean, you just just go with the support for your inexperienced quarterback and move forward with that. I don't know why that would be so hard, but uh, we shall see. Yep. Hey, you guys aren't out there again tomorrow, right? Correct. No practice tomorrow. Um, Friday and Saturday, all practices. And, yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, – Friday we're at the State Fair, actually, but we, we are out there for every morning practice here throughout camp. Kevin Bowen's going to milk some cows for you at the State Fair coming up on Friday. <laughs> we can't wait to see that. So, And they'll be, they'll be milking Kev at Wish TV Channel 8 for the football oh, knowledge boy. that is not oh, riding boy. inside that building over there. They need our guy. They need Kevin Bowen, the new Colts analyst for Wish TV Channel 8. Hey, congratulations on that gig, too, man. I'm, I'm very happy for you. You know that. Thank you, John. The first of many jokes you'll have throughout the next handful of months about it. Cannot wait. Make sure that Sunday show doesn't fall flat, okay, brother? See <laughs> <laughs> you, John. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Talking a little college football and more. Let's welcome back to the show. We haven't had him on in a while, which means a very ridiculous host that hasn't had from Yahoo Sports columnist, New York Times bestselling author, um, I don't know if this is a word. I, I normally create words on this show. A documentarian on Netflix. It's our friend Dan Wetzel on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Is documentarian, is that a word, or I just make that crap up just now? It sounds pretty good. Um, you know, seems like it works. So I'm going with it. <laughs> How you doing, bud? You all right? I'm good. How you been? I haven't been talking in a while. Yeah, I'm hanging. Um, you know, getting ready, obviously, for football around here. The Colts reported yesterday, practice today uh, for the first time. You got college football getting underway and, and what is interesting moving forward uh, with the Big Ten. I, I did want to get this before we jump into some of these Big Ten and football, college football stories. Uh, wh- where's everybody at right now? Or, or maybe even better ask, Dan, where are you at as far as – NIL and the transfer portal in college athletics, where we are at this point? Uh, well, I, I do think they're very different and they get lumped together, but, uh, you know, I, I never was in favor of the NCAA changing the transfer portal to immediate eligibility. Um, what happened was the, the coaches were too strict and they would ban players, they'd bar players from transferring to like 25, 30 schools, couldn't transfer in conference, things like that. Then the players started coming up with, like, well, I got an uncle on dialysis and, you know, grandma's sick. I got to get and – and then the NC started giving waivers and everything just started collapsing. I, I think sitting out a year is fine. I don't think it's a punishment to have to spend a free year at a college, going to college. Um, but they, gave, they, they, they changed it. So they made that spin and so be it. That's where we're at. Um, in terms of NIL and boosters and collectives, I don't see any problems at all. I am. Uh, I think the coaches, ads, and commissioners are whining. Uh, I think the, I'm a free market, anti-government regulation guy. I think that uh, if if you want to have a 
schools, you know, giving boosters, giving money so that this recruit goes here or there. Um, I don't see any issue of it at all. Um, they do that to pay coaches. They do that to build facilities that are over the top. They do all sorts of stuff uh, on passive dollars. It doesn't bother me at all if it's in the recruiting process. And I know that's not a popular opinion, but in the long run, that's the one that's going to win out. Well, and I, I think certainly uh, for the foreseeable future, that's going to be the case. I, I've often asked this, but I've not asked you this. Is, is this, this model of NIL monetarily to you sustainable long term? The market will sustain whatever it's going to sustain. So if people want to pay in, my guess is the, the market for players will actually drop uh, some. But, look, if, if, if I'm, a, if I'm a, a booster and I want a kid, if, I, if I'm a regular person, I want a kid in my neighborhood to go to uh, school and I hire them and send them to, to my school, uh, why would the government get in the way of that? I would, what, what's the harm in that? Um, it's never been a level playing field in college athletics. Um, and, and so what we've seen, if anything, is a, and this is what the economists predicted, um, either no change or there's actually been a little bit more of a dispersal of, of the top high school talent the last two years with small samples uh, in, in college football of the players actually dispersing to a few more schools because let's say there's a recruit in Indiana and Indiana really wants them and they pool their money and give more than you would be if you're just another guy going to, into the Georgia class. Um, that's the way that schools can, can compete. In, in the past, it's been, hey, we need to build bigger facilities. We need to build fancier locker rooms, things to wow recruits. It's a very passive dollar. It's a very um, – it's, it's, you know, you have to hope that what you build is good. You have to then get the recruits on campus to see it, hope that it's a little bit better. Instead, you just give them money directly. That's how businesses recruit all the time. That's how you get someone to move to another city. That's how you get someone to switch a job. Uh, it's not if, if your friend is moving job from one job to another and they say, hey, I'm moving because the office is really nice, or they move because, hey, I just got a 10% raise. You go, oh, yeah, good move. So I, I'm just a, I'm all about free markets and all of this. I don't think it's going to have a big aspect on who's going to win or who isn't going to win. Um, I think the the support is baked in, and what they pay players or what players get will will fluctuate based on the on what the market will bear. So Dan Wetzel who joins us from Yahoo Sports, from from what you know, is is everybody now on a much more even playing field in. In terms of Dan, the the construction of let's just say, for lack of a better description, their NIL office from school to school right now, because you know some and you know this too, some were like going about it kicking and screaming, and then finally got into it and were a little further behind than others. Is it now more than ever more even as far as the the amount of resources they put into from school to school NIL right now, especially with obviously the Power Five, for example? I think they're getting there, but I think that's I don't think every school is as is, is aggressive or as organized, and they'll get there. And it was really weird because they start to allow this, and you had all these, you had some like, you know, these old school ads or different coaches going, "Well, I don't like this. We're not going to participate." And it's like, if they, let's say they had a basketball, and you you had you put in a four point shot, right? And uh, you just sat there and said, "Well, I don't like that. That's not how I learned basketball. We're not going to use that." You'd be like, "What are you crazy?" <laughs> you use it, right? Or if they allow, like, this is the this is the rules. Do it. Um, you know, I, I look at at a lot of the schools. You know, a lot of schools prided themselves on not being involved in in pay for play recruiting uh, under the table, which we know has gone on for a hundred years, right? You take like a Notre Dame. They certainly. I'm not saying Notre Dame is perfect program or anything, but they certainly try harder maybe then other schools that you follow the rule book and not get involved in this stuff. Well, now they're saying, hey, man, you can do this. And if there's one thing anyone's walked around Notre Dame, no one's ever walked around Notre Dame and said, boy, if only this place had a little money. Uh, but, you know, so you sit there and go, well, why not be aggressive? Like, this is the stuff that would help a Notre Dame. 
that would help in Indiana, would help a lot of places. You know, how many recruits, basketball recruits in Indiana lose because they weren't getting involved in this stuff, and now maybe it's like, hey, it's not a big deal if we get this guy some money. Um, besides all the, 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 the traditional, you know, the, the – advertising commercials or sponsorships and stuff. It's just a different way of spending the, the, the booster money. And, and instead of spending it on coaching salaries, which are still going to go up, but certainly facilities and support staff and all these bells and whistles, you're direct paying to the players. It, it's just a far more efficient and more active dollar, and it should help those types of certain schools. So, uh, again, I, we've seen nothing that suggests that, oh, only, you know, they, uh, Alabama's going to buy all the recruits. Why? Alabama's got all the money? They actually don't. Uh, a lot of schools have more money than Alabama, and Alabama was already getting all the recruits. Or how in the world would, uh, you know, how in the world uh, Evansville beat Indiana for a recruit now? Well, they never beat them for a recruit anyway. Maybe now they can. Maybe there's a way. So I, I see it as a, as a slight leveling of the playing field. Much more efficient use of booster money. It's really not going to have a huge effect. The biggest problem is we have a lot of old school coaches and ADs absolutely trashing college sports, calling everything a disaster, claiming we need all this help and legislation when nothing bad is really happening. There's been nothing bad happening in this industry that requires this much bemoaning and all of that. To Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, yahoosports.com, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, obviously, you're from the state of Michigan, uh, and the news broke yesterday of Jim Harbaugh's situation um, you know, lying to the NCAA. The, the story that we've talked about here before. So, what happened in all this, and is the way that that both sides are going about this? It sounds like it sounds like it's convenient for Michigan here, and convenient for Jim Harbaugh. Is it? I think this would get get the situation out of the way. Um, I think from Michigan's point of view, if you get this out of the way, you just focus on the season and you focus on Harbaugh staying at Michigan long-term past the season. You don't have, like, an NCAA investigation hanging over or an NCAA case that you might just sit there and say, hey, forget it, I'm out of here. I'm just going to go to the NFL. Um, so I think that's the appeal for Michigan. Uh, I mean, look, this is a self-inflicted wound. The violations that he committed or alleged to have committed were, you know, moderate to minor. Uh, this wasn't dropping off bags of cash when that was a thing. It was, you know, meeting with recruits during a dead period when you shouldn't and he, and he shouldn't have. But it's really when they asked him about it, NCAA says he wasn't forthright on it. So he's really in trouble for, for lying to the NCAA and the cover-up. And I think that's what's particularly frustrating about this because if he had just admitted those violations, it would be a, a real slap on the wrist. Like, you know, minor, hey, instead of 50 recruits you can bring in next year, you can only bring in 47 or one of those types of things. Really wouldn't affect it. Instead, he's got to sit four games. Now, Michigan's benefit is these first four games are pretty easy and they'll be 30-point favorites in each one, so they should win. But we'll see. So I think getting it over with is good for Harbaugh and good for Michigan. They have a huge season going they have a lot of momentum on their program keeps getting better and better uh, recruiting is picking up and, and I think Harbaugh can settle in and really have a big run here if he wants to stay in Ann Arbor Dan how the entire idea of what has been called a negotiation with the NCAA for this particular punishment how did all that start where was the beginning whose idea was that and then how did we get to this point well, they have that system, and, and like the NCA system is very comp complicated. But if you just think of a normal judicial system, right? You, a, a prosecutor will say, "Hey, you robbed the bank," and you go, "No, I didn't." And they go, "Look, man, we got you on video. Okay, I did." Hey, look, we can go to trial and fight this. You get 15 years. If you just say you did it, I'll give you eight, right? And, and so you say, "All right, I'll take the eight or you take your chances. And so that's kind of, they have that same thing. You can just mediate it or negotiate a resolution and, and come up with something. I think technically they could give Harbaugh six games. And so if he comes down to four or whatever they're trying to hash out here at the end, um, and then at the end, like a judge would still have to approve a plea deal. It, it's a little like that. I know it's a little bit of a clumsy way to put it, but um, it's basically that. And the NCAA, nobody wants to have some big long thing. You got to hire all these lawyers and have a big uh, hearing when you can just resolve the case pretty simply.
Yeah, seems like that's the conclusion that they certainly have drawn here. Do you you see him staying in Ann Arbor for the rest of his career? Does he bounce back at some point to the NFL now? I, you know, it's 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 interesting. Um, predicting Jim Harbaugh is my hesitation. Sure, <laughs> understand that. You guys yeah. know him. You guys know him when he was a player. You know him as a coach. You know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say I think he will, but I just can't predict Jim Harbaugh. He could literally wake up tomorrow or, or like the day after the season and go, I think I'm going to go coach the whatever, you know, and, and, and he'll go do it. But uh, Or he could sit there and say, yeah, why would I leave? Everything's going well. I just I can't predict him. I think getting through this will be a really big thing for, for his chances of staying at Michigan. No, he's – got it going really well and as they expand this playoff and it becomes a little less of uh you you beat ohio state or the whole season is a disaster uh, i think that helps but i could also see him saying hey look man i almost won that super bowl in san francisco i want one more crack at it hey dan staying in the big 10 too how um how far uh, of a setback now is this entire hazing situation because it doesn't really show signs of letting up i mean it seems like every week there's there's something new or somebody else coming out right now um how far will this set their football program back at northwestern i mean i know that it's not quite a front runner in the first place but i mean even in terms of where it has been at a high water mark how far is it going to be down how long is it going to be down yeah, I mean, they won one game last year, so. Uh, yeah, how much further down can you go? Well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I'm kind of. No, it's happen. weird for me to say that because we cover IU here too. So, I mean, yeah. I, you, well, you don't, you don't want, you don't want IU to be worse than Northwestern this year, is what I'm saying. So, no, yeah. you definitely don't. IU's on the rise. Um, I mean, look, they got an interim coach. I, I, this year is going to be a wash. Uh, who's recruiting and all that, but uh, so it's a matter of just um, getting through the next five months. I don't know how good the team will be this year. Not much was expected even with um, with uh, Pat Fitzgerald as the coach. Uh, you know, they'll probably bring in a new coach. I, I think the, the bigger challenge for Northwestern remains it's hard enough to win in the Big Ten when you're the one private school. You only got, you know, it's a smaller school. Um, you know, some different academic standards and things like that. And now uh, the league is adding USC and UCLA. You just bring two more schools that have more resources above you, and you're getting rid of divisions, so you can't really hang out in that Big Ten West where, you know, there isn't Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State standing in the way. So it's it's sort of like how much success can Northwestern have? I mean, they made two Big Ten title games. They won the West twice. And, I mean, I, I can't – I. It, just straight up, they they have almost no chance of being better than Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and USC. Um, and that doesn't even get into Wisconsin and Nebraska and all these others and Purdue and I mean everybody. So it's a real challenge for North. It's always been a challenge for Northwestern to be successful. And as the Big Ten keeps getting bigger and keeps adding big time programs, it just gets harder and harder. I think that's their long term challenge. Hey Dan, they had their media day down here today. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you would if you would call it a um, a surprise because I know that they made some strides a year ago. What do you feel like what Bielema is doing with with Illinois at present time at Champaign? Yeah, they made a lot of lot of strides last year, um, and they continue to. And they're starting to they're starting to win some. I, I've been interested. They're starting to win some recruiting battles in the state, not necessarily the top, top guy, but some ones they weren't getting. Uh, I think the thing with Bielema, you know, you know him from Wisconsin, even Arkansas, they really weren't that bad. Uh, didn't quite work out, but, but you know the identity of the program, and I think that's really appealing when kids can look and just sit there and say, okay, that fits what I'm trying to do, and he's trying, and he's going he's gonna to be attuned to that. So, uh, Illinois has always been to me the athletic department and particularly the football program that it may be, maybe no program underachieved more in the country. I mean, it's the, I mean, we talked about Northwestern, but legitimately it's really the only major program in the, in the what fourth, fifth biggest state in the country. You know, Indy's only two hours away. St. Louis is two hours away, let alone Chicago and all the, all the recruits up there. Um, I know there aren't any cruise ships departing from, uh, Campaign, but um, you know it, it, you could be better than what you have been 
historically, and I, I just I wonder what it's going to take, and, and maybe Brett Bielema for a while with a slow build is, is that is that person. Yeah, and, and you know he's he's rebuilding certainly his his reputation in Champaign, and, and I want to get back to Pat Fitzgerald for a moment. Where, where is he going to be? I guess ultimately allowed to try to embark on rebuilding his. Well, I mean, certainly NFL is always possible. Um, I think the big thing is going to be what comes out of a lot of these lawsuits and stuff. I mean, did he turn and not pay enough attention to the to what was going on in that locker room, or did he really know what was going on in that locker room? And I think there's a distinction that will matter for whoever would hire him. But obviously coaches in these days, you can't just say, uh, you know, knock it off. You have to be aggressive with the preventive stuff. I am sure every coach in college football is spending time this year trying to root out hazing or talk about the dangers of hazing the way, you know, you would with, you know, how to, how to, how we treat women, how we get out of this situation. What do we do with drugs and alcohol? You know, they bring in people. I think they're probably trying to do that now. So I think we're going to find out a lot more about what it really is alleged against Pat Fitzgerald. Um, and I think that'll that'll play a big role in whether he can coach in college football again, does he have to go to the NFL for a while or whatever. He's still he's still a young guy. I mean, he's in his forties, and there's a lot of opportunity. And he is a, he is a very good coach. What's the most interesting storyline in college football across the landscape to you to start the season, even outside the Big Ten as we close? Uh, I mean, you still have this expansion, you know, the conference conference realignment, but. In terms of pure football, um, it's a wide-open year. Uh, Alabama needs a new quarterback. Ohio State needs a new quarterback. Georgia needs a new quarterback. You know, USC has the best quarterback. Michigan's bringing a bunch of guys back. Texas could be really good. Florida State, you know, look, at the end of the day, we probably end up Georgia. You can call me in January. Georgia and Alabama playing each other again. But it it feels like, hey – in an era when you kind of knew who was going to win almost every year, it's a little bit more open to see what happens. Penn State could be really good. Penn State could win the could win the Big Ten. It just feels like there's six, seven, eight contenders where at the end of the year you that, so that guy they win and you go, yeah, okay, I get that. It's uh, Dan Wetzel with us of Yahoo Sports, YahooSports.com. Hey, what are you working on in the not so distant future? Anything you can tell us about? a lot of NFL and college football writing and then uh, we have the College Football Inquirer podcast so we talk a lot of college football on that um, so that's it just getting ready for the season I hate when summer ends but the, the best thing is football starts so yeah I mean you do you kind of you know this you go from like zero to 50 I mean you just all of a sudden the you know one day you're talking about nothing and then the next day you're talking about you know a landscape of, of football both NFL-wise and college starting. So. Or, you know, I'll, every year I get tricked into watching that Hall of Fame preseason game, and then I'm reminded <laughs> it's terrible. What am I doing? But I get so excited, I watch, and I'm like, this is the worst football I've ever seen. So, But I plan on doing that again in a couple weeks. But, uh, yeah, I just get excited for football. I know you're up in Michigan. Do they have designs on the Lions? Win the division this year? Is that the Lions? The Lions hype is insane. Yeah, oh, no, they're talking Super Bowl. Oh uh, wow! Okay, hasn't won a playoff game in thirty years, <laughs> uh, and they've won one playoff game since nineteen fifty-seven. It's the worst franchise in pro sports, but they are very good. They got a lot of good players, and Red Favre's gone. Vikings are rattled, and the Bears aren't any good. So, if there was ever a year for the Lions to be confident. This is it. Uh, we'll see how that hasn't worked out in the past, but this could be the year. I do like this Lions team a lot. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of – I hear a lot of stories, a lot of columns coming from me. Hey, man, thanks for getting back with me today. It was great to have you back on. If you wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind to, to link up with you at some point again and talk about what's going on at the start of both the NFL and the college football season. You know, man, anytime. Appreciate you having thanks, me on. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Greg Stribblaw is the president, and we're uh, getting ready for a watch party tonight, the Indy 11 on the road at Pittsburgh. Uh, we're in Broad Ripple at the Union Jack Pub. Kevin Bowen a little bit earlier, back to Colts camp, and the first day of practice today, we'll do that and take a look around the AMC South with Joe Rexroad coming up here at the top of the hour. But Greg Stribblaw is back with us, the prez of the Indy 11. I know you're incredibly proud of the women, what they accomplished, and what the fans of Central Indiana accomplished as well. Yeah, great week last week. Uh, couldn't be prouder for the ladies in particular on the field. It's not every day that you win a, a national championship, right? And you got the Indy 11 crest yep. that you're wearing proudly. So very, very proud for, of them. A great season, uh, Central Conference uh, champions, and then winning it all against North Carolina. But you're right. Uh, the crowd set a, a new record for uh, Indiana, uh, state of Indiana for women's soccer. And it's hard to believe you and I were just talking about it off air. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's been... 1998. That's incredible. USA. That's a right? long I mean, time. That, that's it's a long time, and it's a nice record to beat as well. And shout out to uh, to the mayor as well because uh, last Friday he proclaimed Friday, uh, June 21st, as Girls in Blue Day. So did the official proclamation, and uh, we got a lot of amplification out of that. That so is nice. Exciting. Plus the Indy 11 uh, tonight in Pittsburgh, that's a little right. watch party here, yeah. and uh, I mean, I mean, really, the world of soccer's big time right now because you got here, and then obviously later on tonight the U.S. Women versus Netherlands in yeah. World Cup. A lot Indy, going on. Indy 11 playing Pittsburgh tonight. And then uh, we got our arch in uh, Loose City in Louisville on Saturday. So a uh, big back-to-back, a short week, but a lot of games for the guys. But uh, got a few other extra bodies in the lineup. Wednesday to Saturday, is that a tough turnaround it time? It is. It really is. Yeah, especially since they played Tampa Bay at home. You know, it's it's Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. It's, yeah. uh, it's a full week for sure. Yeah. I, I, uh, I guess you just have to be, what are they, not conditioned, but what is it, trained? You conditioned have to be, and also there'll yeah. be some minutes that that will be managed, Water. right? That's that's coach's job to do and make sure we've got the right lineup there and we, we nurse that around uh, along. Brickyard Battalion going to be here a little bit later on as well. What do you think about the matchup with Pittsburgh later on tonight? Yeah, I like it. They're, I think everybody knows they're a very, very good, talented team, uh, well coached and uh, very defensive though. So we got to find ways in uh, to the 18 yard and try and uh, find the back of the net. Sometimes uh, the games with Pittsburgh are, are one goal game. So who's going to be on the other side of that, right? We're hoping that we've, we can put one or two in the net on them that usually might be enough. You mentioned too, Greg, the the attendance for the women, uh, which was a record breaker. How has the attendance for the men? Very good. Uh, top three in the league. Uh, actually, Saturday night for the men, our, our doubleheader uh, with the women's game in the afternoon. The men in the evening was, I think, 11,200, yep. just in around that. So really good show at the mic. It was packed. Uh, so... I think gaining some momentum from an attendance standpoint as well. Yep. So uh, how much of the season is left at We've this point? We've got six home games left, uh, basically. So a lot of time so to get out there and check them out. Absolutely. Yep. Six home games. Our next one's uh, first Saturday in August, and our last home game will be uh, September 30th at home. So. I'm assuming, too, I, I don't know, Saturday, um, you guys, pl- I don't know if it's still going to be as warm. I know Friday's going to be like one of the warmest days we've had around here in forever. Um, that I would assume can really take its toll. It can. In, Usually, in there's game. rest and purization breaks as well, and yeah. uh, liquid hydration breaks. Oh, do they have they, those? They, oh, they yeah. do. They, is there a, like a specific temperature in which you you have to go with? Usually, or? it's at the discretion of the referees, but they usually inject at least an extra hydration break in both halves on top of what they already would do. And then, of course, the coaches have their timeouts as well. Yeah, that's that's uh, Greg Scrimmel again. The president of the Indy Eleven is with us. That that has to be something that's difficult. So, as an end result, how proud of you of what the women accomplished here? Extremely this year? proud. I mean, it's uh, it's something considering we started that franchise last year. Yeah. They went undefeated all last year. Unfortunately, lost in the playoffs. Uh, I believe they were the best team in the league last year. Um, and then again, they just repeated this year. They, they went through the regular season, went on the road, won, uh, beat a very, very capable San Francisco team. For those that went to Grand Park on that Friday night uh, about 10 days ago, that was some of the best soccer I've seen in a long time. Speed, had everything, and then a win with a header with literally 10 seconds left in added time. I mean, that's the way to do it, right? So give the fans something to cheer about and then uh, wrapping it up at home. Well, I would have liked to have wrapped it up, you know, in regulation, but uh, uh, doing it extra time, that's fine as well. So very proud of them. The U.S. women in Netherlands tonight. What do we know about that? Well, we, we, we know it's going to be a good match. Matchup. We know that the Team USA is starting to continue their momentum, and I, they've got high expectations of nothing but uh, winning it all, and um, pretty sure that's what they're going to do. Six more games coming up for the Indy 11, too. You can get your tickets really easy, right? Absolutely. Indy11.com. Go to the ticket section, choose what you like, and it's there for your taking. That's awesome, man. Thanks for coming by. Uh, did you, it took you a minute to park, didn't it? It did. It did. I was doing some jackhammer <laughs> out there, though. I, well, I mean, yeah, they're out there putting yeah. down some concrete and stuff, yeah. laying some concrete. So it's always good to see you, man. Same here. Greg Stremelaw right there with the Indy 11. He is their president.